Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. My name is Lisa Brown, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now, we are going to continue our, not tradition, but we're going to continue our ongoing flow at the moment. We're talking a little bit about getting back to basics. So as part of today's episode, we are going to focus on the self-assessment. So we're up to episode 11, can you believe it? And I'm so excited to be here with you all today. I hope you have all had a fantastic week. For me, I've been a little bit unwell, so you can probably tell in my voice today. I was hoping to be a little bit better before I recorded, but I'm jumping in the hot seat recording this fab episode for you guys today, um, and I can't wait to share it with you. Last week's episode, we met with Andrea Christie David, so she shared um, an inclusion lens. Bit of a bit of a controversial episode. We received a lot of. Um, interesting mixed feedback but the exciting thing is that we have different speakers giving us their perspectives their stories their experiences and um, looking at things from different perspectives it's really important to have different speakers on and we encourage and we want to explore all avenues of early childhood So hence the name, Everything Early Childhood. So at the end of each episode, if you find yourself thinking um, some feedback, some comments, some questions, please let us know. Um, Hit us up. We've got our Facebook page, Everything Early Childhood. So make sure you search for that on Facebook and be part of the conversation. If you've got feedback, questions, anything you want to know, or just if you want to give us your peace of mind, um, let us know on our Facebook group. So we look forward to seeing you there. Um, In the meantime, and what was so beautiful this week, and thank you so much to everyone that got in contact with us. It means a lot to know that you're all out there listening, um, driving to work every Thursday morning, listening to our new episode. So um, without further ado, let's get started on today's episode. So self-assessment. So self-assessment involves examining our current practice at the service, deciding what is being done well, so obviously your strengths, and then identifying what might need some improvement. So during the self-assessment process, the services practice is evaluated against the requirements of the national law, national regulations, as well as against the national quality standards and approved learning framework. Self-assessment provides approved providers with an informed picture of current practice and the quality of education and care experienced by children and families attending the service. 
So when we look at the QIP cycle as a whole, and I've got the diagram in front of me, so I'm going to describe what it looks like and I'll post it in our Facebook group as well so you can share it with your team. At the top, right at the top of there, it exact, looks exactly like our planning cycle, um, is self-assessment. So regardless, and I'll talk a little bit more in a moment of um, about being in New South Wales and what that looks like for us and how it's different compared to other states, self-assessment is part of the quality improvement plan cycle. Once you have your self-assessment and you do this process properly, what it will allow you to do is identify all of the strengths and improvements needed for your service. Once you have gathered those, all of those will go and form into your quality improvement plan. Then you'll be able to implement the improvements and review any progress. And obviously the most important thing is to document any progress notes um, that you have with those improvements that you've made in your service. And um, I could talk about the QIP or day and goals, but one of my biggest tips is to make sure that you have big goals, big things that you're working on so that you can break it down into actionable steps and then review that progress and implement those improvements and get everyone involved in that process as well. So it isn't a regulation to have a um, self-assessment in place. However, it is part of our national quality standards. So it's in quality area seven and it falls under 7.2.1, which is continuous improvement. Well, this element states, there is an effective self-assessment and quality improvement process in place. So in October 2019, the regulatory authority gave services in New South Wales the option to opt in to submit their self-assessment tool as a replacement of their quality improvement plan. In September 2020, the regulatory authority released the version publicly online. So you can now download the version um, that they will use to um, that you can submit that online. And then the New South Wales Department of Education released their own doc, so self-assessment working document, um, just to make a preface here to make sure that if you are in New South Wales and you are using or wanting to start with your self-assessment, please make sure that you have your working on the correct document. So it's the dark blue document. It has the New South Wales Department logo in the right-hand corner and then in the bottom corner and then in the top corner, it has a picture of two children. Looks like they're playing in sand or water. But just make sure that you have the right document and that you're working in the right document. So some feedback from providers that have chosen to opt in for the self-assessment process we went through the, the assessment and rating process. Um, when was that? About two years ago now. We did opt in um, as a bit of an experiment. We opted in and submitted our self-assessment rather than our QIP. Um, and we did. We found that it was a really amazing experience and we received exceeding um, for our service during that time. 
But some feedback from providers and clients um, that have opted in and more have opted in than not in New South Wales, which is really interesting. So they've said that they've found it to be more streamlined. So a um, a lot of feedback that we get from clients with going through assessment and rating, and it depends on the person that you get out, the officer that you get out, um, with the feedback that you will receive for your report. However, it's made it a lot more streamlined because you get to be in control of the evidence that's provided to the assessor even before they walk in the door. The next thing is it's more personal. So as you're writing your key practices, which we'll go into more detail in a second what they look like, you you get to name your processes, you get to name your procedures, you get to name your systems so that when their officer comes in for your assessment and rating, they're going to ask for those by name because you've put them in your self-assessment documentation. Then the third feedback that we've been getting is that it allows officers to focus more of their time on observing practice. So because they've already got all of that information from your service, they are able to spend more time observing practice during their visits rather than sitting down with you and asking for all of that evidence. So remember that when they come in for the visit, they only have, I think I worked out like 11 minutes to gather evidence on each of those elements. So we want to make it as easy as possible. So all the information that you submit as part of your self-assessment will go into your report. So that will go directly into your report. And then it's the assessor's job to cite, observe and discuss aspects from the report and collect evidence of that. Now, so regardless if you are in New South Wales or not, you still need to demonstrate a systematic approach to self-assessment within your service Um, and because you wanted to cover that element, so 7.2.1, continuous improvement. And done right, all of the information, as I said when we're talking about the cycle, from your self-assessment can be used as part of your quality improvement plan for the other states. Now, what you want to do, the self-assessment process starts, so step one of that process is looking to see and ensure that you are compliant. So check that you're compliant by looking at um, all of the relevant law and regulations, and that's at the start of the document. Um, then you'll tick yes or no. I hope you all tick yes. If you tick no, please make sure that you improve that immediately. Um, Step two is your strengths. So you want to identify practices that make you proud and that you would like to showcase. So involve your staff, your families and your children as part of that process. And then step three is your areas for improvement. So you want to identify potential areas for improving practice and involve your team, families, and children in that process as well. So once you work out those areas for improvement, and remember, they want to be big goals. So big goals that you can break down over time. You want to display those for families so that they can be involved in that practice and they can see what actions you are taking within your service. So the first section of the self-assessment document, so the working document, is to actually go through the law and regulations and tick compliant or non-compliant. For the other states, you might find this really helpful as well as it's just a little reminder to make sure, and even for your team, just maybe a little um, 
to build up their knowledge on what those law and regulations are. I think it's really awesome that they've got these in there now because I find that when I go to services, the law and regulations are not really documents that are used all that often, which is so sad. Like I remember starting out in early childhood, yes, I was a bit of a nerd and I would have those documents out and I would read them because I wanted to know exactly what I was doing and I'm very... Um, uh, rule following so as long as I know the rules I'm good and I felt like if, if I'm if I'm going to work in this sector be the best possible educator that I can be I need to really understand what those rules are so um, I recommend getting these documents out use the wording um, and really talk about these with your team in your services each day, you'll obviously have your policies and procedures. So with your policies and procedures, these are based on the law and regulations anyway. Um, however, just make them known of which law and regulations they're based on. So hopefully at the top of, of your policies and procedures, um, you have which, pol which regulation or law that they're from, which is really handy as well. But just talk about this in your practice each day as well. The next section of your self-assessment is identifying evidence and key practices. So this document allows you to identify five key practices for every element. So this means that we are able to present over 200 pieces of evidence before the assessor even walks through the door. The con of the self-assessment is though, compared to your QIP, is that you cannot submit any visual information. It needs to all be written. But we have to do this process anyway as part of our standards. So I recommend combining them, get it all done in one go. So with the self-assessment, there is a character limit, so a 500 character limit, which ends up being about 132 words per key practice. One of the most important things to remember when you're writing, and this goes for your self-assessment or your QIP, your quality improvement plan, is that you want to focus on using exceeding language. This is key. Imagine if you were the assessor or officer as they're called um, and you would receive so many quality improvement plans or self-assessments. So what we want to do, we want to make sure that ours stand out. They would be able to see straight away from that language that you're using, whether you are working towards, meeting or exceeding. So what I love to do, I've designed these wordles to show exactly what the language between working towards, meeting and exceeding sounds like. So I'll give you an example. Exceeding language can sound like it's well-established, it's available, we respond, we've got choices, we're consistent, we're systematical, involvement, engagement, opportunities, we maximise, we actively and we're proactive. We do things in advance before they happen because we're thinking about every possible thing that could happen and we're planning for that. We're positive, it's continuous, it's best practice, it's effective um, and that's just a few. So you can find these on our Facebook page, Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. You can download these and a lot of our clients have them up in the services um, and share them with their team for when they're writing all of their documentation. 
This language is also amazing when writing any documentation. So whether it's your performance appraisals, whether it's your philosophy, um, whether it's your self-assessment, QIP, um, policies, this is really amazing language to embed in your practice. And I always ask services, what language are you currently speaking? Working towards, meeting or exceeding? So have a look at all three wordles um, and let me know. Let me know how you're going. So with your key practices, you want to make sure that you focus on the how. How are you doing this in your service? So if it can be observed, you want to ask yourself these questions. Can the practice be seen? What does it look like? Can it be discussed? So can educators and staff talk about why and how particular practices occur at the service? Or can it be cited? So is there documented evidence to support your key practice statement? And really look at how. How do you do that? Um, it needs to be things not so obvious. So for example, we don't want to focus on that we have this policy because policies are a re regulatory requirement. However, you might have a different system or a different process in place at your service um, that you want to highlight or demonstrate. So for example, um, a support squad is an example. Um, in the support squad, we consult with a psychologist, OT and speech therapist. And um, in order to, and it's based on a group, to give our educators the tools that they need to be able to support the children in our care. And this is one of the systems. So support squad is one of the systems we have in place, A, to support our team and B, to support our children as well. With your um, key practice statements, you also want to make sure that you are including the exceeding themes. So there used to be a section um, in the self-assessment where you could write the exceeding themes separate. However, what they have asked now is that when you are writing your key practice statements, please take the exceeding themes into consideration. So we know we'll do another podcast on exceeding themes. That will be our next one. Um, but just to go over them in really brief detail, um, theme one is obviously your practice is embedded in service operations. Theme two is your practice is informed by critical reflection. Theme three is that your practice is shaped by meaningful engagement with families and or the community. So in order to get exceeding, you need to demonstrate evidence with how you have achieved all three exceeding themes for every single element. So when you are writing your key practice statements, remember that you have five opportunities to write your key practice statements for every single element. So within those key practice statements, you need to consider how you can incorporate each of the exceeding themes. So I get some clients still a little bit confused about including the three exceeding themes in their key practice statements. So I remember going out to a client to um, do some training around writing their self-assessment and I arrived and they were so confused and when I read one of their key practice statements it was so confusing they they'd incorporated um 
all three exceeding themes for every key practice. Um, and it was an amazing, awesome effort. But what it ended up doing is that each key practice didn't quite make a lot of sense. It just, that it was as if they were so focused on including the exceeding themes in every single key element, can you imagine, um, that they didn't actually focus on the content that was going into the key practice statements. So you don't need to include all three exceeding themes in every key practice statement, you only need to make sure that you've got the evidence in of the three exceeding themes within all five, like within each all five. So for example, you might include embedded in your service operations, theme one, for example, and then in your key practice two, you might be, you choose something of how that practice is informed by critical reflection. And then in your third key practice statement, you might include your engagement with families and or community. If you can include all three in a key practice statement, that is awesome. And just make sure that you have a separate spreadsheet to to document all of your um, exceeding theme practices to make sure that you are covering all of the elements so that you've covered all three exceeding themes for every element. So let's have a look. I'm going to read out to you some examples of some exceeding key practice statements. Okay, so we're going to look at quality area one. Um, We're going to look at element 1.2.1 on intentional teaching. I find that a lot of the elements from quality area one, a lot of it is sight, so they need to observe that um, in your practice. So what we recommend is really looking at how can they see this in your practice? Um, What documentation... And what evidence do you have in place to um, demonstrate and show evidence of how this is embedded in your practice? So this is a key practice statement from Intentional Teaching 1.2.1. So educators work alongside children to solve problems, extend their learning, and we use children's knowledge, experience and interest for further planning. Intentional teaching is visible through our interactions with the children as we use open-ended questions and resources to guide children's thinking through using questioning, analysis and investigation to solve different problems within the environment and their play. So in this service, it was very, very um obvious they had up the um, open-ended questions which is one of the strategies for intentional teaching so they had a whole list of open-ended questions up in different places in the environment and you could clearly see in their practice every day that this was something that was embedded um, and used with the children each day. The second example I'm going to share is from quality area seven It's element 7.1.2, which is your management systems. And it says, we have a systematic approach for reviewing our policies and procedures. We have a yearly calendar designed around the peak times of the year that is in line with reviewing approximately four to six policies per month. These policies and procedures are updated with relevant legislation and printed out in the staff room each month for educators to read and comment on. We then take these comments and revise the policies and send to families with our newsletter for further comments and feedback 
And then obviously that was the end of um, the word limit. But then once we get, if we get any further feedback or comments from our families, um, we then revise those as well and um, send out the final copy of that policy. So you can see here, this is two examples of how this element is achieved or embedded in the service operations. The next section is obviously looking at your improvements. So in your, it's really important, it's part of the quality improvement process to identify your key improvement sort. You don't have to, we only recommend having three to four maximum improvements for each service at one time. It goes back to that phone number philosophy. So it go, you know, when we remember a phone number, we remember it in three or four digits because that is our brain's capacity to remember information. If you have more than three or four goals, which most services do when we go in there, um, we, what we do is we collate them to um, under an umbrella. So we'll look at how they relate together and we'll come up with a big um, topic or umbrella that they all fall under and minimise those or maximise, I should say, to three to four only and make them big goals and break them down. So you want to make sure that you have documented those. This is really important and your continual progress notes as well. You want to make sure at the end of the document, it says who was involved in the self-assessment process. So you've got your nominated supervisor, service leaders and management. You've got your coordinator, educational leader, educators, other service staff, children, families, school, broader service community and others. So my question to you, who should be involved in the self-assessment process? Everyone, absolutely. Everyone should be involved in that process. If you're looking for more support around writing your self-assessment, we have a Smash Your Self-Assessment Toolkit, which is available to purchase on in our online store. It has a 100-page printable to get you started today. So it includes step-by-step -step instructions, including a time frame to smash your self-assessment in 10 days or less. It includes 44 examples of exceeding key practice statements and printable letters and templates to use with your parents, colleagues and stakeholders. Our goal here at Platinum Education is to save you time, energy and stress and to get help you get it right the first time. So this is available on our website www.platinumed.com.au. Now, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions around your self-assessment that we can support you with, please get in touch. Um, we find the best ways for people to see those examples. Um, that's why we put the Smash Your Self-Assessment in 10 Days or Less um, kit together for you to purchase there to have a look. We've had a lot of services purchase that and it's helped them to review and complete their self-assessment. So until next week, I wish you all an amazing week. Um, where are we at? Two days. If you're listening to this on our release day, Thursday, we've got two more days until the weekend. And I want to wish you a very, very happy week. And we look forward to catching you in our future episodes. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We'll see you next week. Keep making every moment count. 
Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at lisabrown underscore platinum ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.